Dotnet Rocks episode 723 with guests Damian Edwards and David Fowler. Recorded live Thursday, December 1st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here. What's up, Mr. Campbell? I am having a good time because it's December. I'm, I'm almost done for the year. Other than recording a few shows, no more travel, just uh, time for family and some Christmas. Yeah, man. And this is the first show that we've recorded since uh, coming back from Ordev. Yeah. So we have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Not the least of which is the new .NET Rocks fan club. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, they're trying to show more stuff or whatever. No, listen to this. It just means free stuff for listeners. Right. We decided that we wanted to know a little bit more about you. And in order to get that information, we need to offer something. So we went to our sponsors and went to some people and we came up with some good stuff. For example, every show we are going to give away to one fan club member, a Telerik Ultimate Suite. That's about 2000 bucks worth of software. Yeah, not only 2000 bucks, but it's actually almost $7,400 worth of software in one box. So it's a deal to begin with. And then on top of that, it's going to be free to a lucky fan club member every show. That's 180 a year. Yeah. Not only that, but once a year, we're going to give away five grand worth of technology. We're talking the biggest, baddest computer we can possibly put together. And we're going to give them away in December. The first one will be uh, December 11th, Tuesday, December 11th, 2012. Nice. So you got a whole year to uh, to get ready for that. Plus, all the free stuff that we can possibly find from sponsors, from Microsoft, people who have conferences, we'll give away conference passes, um, you name it. Anything that we can find that we can possibly give away, we will. All you got to do is go to .netrocks.com and click on the fan page link. And click on the fan page link. That's it. Or if you want to go to .netrocks.com slash fanpage.aspx. Not only that, but we have a new sponsor that we've been talking about here, Pluralsight. Indeed. And they provide some free stuff also. In fact, 200 minutes worth of training in their library, which they have nearly 200 hardcore developer training courses there, authored mm -hmm. by MVPs and industry experts, such as people that talk on this show. They release 8 to 10 new courses every month. The free trial is for 10 days, 200 minutes, and you can just watch all the, the training that you want. Uh, it's great stuff. Full curriculum on web development with over 20 courses on ASP.NET, 10 courses on jQuery, JavaScript, and HTML5 programming. So try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. Pluralsight.com. All right. With that, Richard, let's jump into Better Know Framework. Awesome. So I've been doing quite a bit of work with speech recognition lately because it's all part of Gesture Pack, which I'm doing for the Connect on um, gesture recognition and all that stuff. It's probably in beta by now. Gesture Pack, that's P-A-K dot com, um, lets you record yourself making gestures and then it tells you 
it fires an event when you make those gestures. So and I'd, the- I'd like to point out that I was there right at the beginning. Yeah. And the very first version. Yeah. When you showed it to me, you used voice. To, yep. to command it to do things, to get in different modes and so forth. I thought it was very cool. So the big problem with speech recognition is you you load up the words that you wanted to recognize in these grammars. Mm-hmm. and But the problem is that it will recognize the word even if you use it as part of a sentence. Right? So this right. is the problem. So if I want to say, you know, if I, if I want to say snapshot to have it take a snapshot of my hand wherever it is... Um, I can't talk to the audience at the same time. I can't say, and then I'm just going to say snapshot and all the, you know, because then it's going to go to town. Right. So there's a trick. If you go to, uh, tinyurl.com slash append wildcard, this is a method on the grammar builder. And the grammar builder is one of those, uh, um, you know, ancillary objects that you use in speech recognition with system speech or Windows speech. Right. And uh, essentially, what you can do is create this wild card, um, and that wild card, you append the wild card to the grammar builder first, and then you append whatever phrase you want it to recognize, and then you append another wild card after. So essentially, if it picks it up, if it picks up your keyword during speech, you will see a word in the words collection uh, under your result object that says the text is dot dot dot. Which means that's a wild card. It doesn't know what it is. Right. But it knows you said something. But if you say it by itself, you won't get that dot, dot, dot word. So it's just a simple thing that you can do. Wrap your commands in these wild cards and then you just test to see if it's part of a sentence. And if it's, if it is, you ignore it. So it's, it's that, cl- that enables the kind of speech recognition that you really want, which is you're talking to somebody, but when you want the computer's attention, you say, computer, just like they do on the Star Trek Enterprise. Right. By itself, but you can still use the word computer in a sentence, and it will completely ignore you. Interesting. Okay, so it's it's all that whole context effect right there. Absolutely. So that was one of the big challenges that I had to overcome, and that's how I did it. Use the uh, append wildcard method on the grammar builder. Awesome. Yep. Cool. So who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, I'm going to read this one comment. Before I get there, there's been a number of folks who've been talking about when the tablet show will show up in Zune Marketplace because they yeah. want to subscribe to it. Right. And uh, it's in the Zune Marketplace now. However, right. Zune, Market, Zune Marketplace only allows podcasts in USA. Now, are you sure about that? I checked with them. I've contacted Microsoft and you are required, you could only add a podcast if you are in the USA region. And when you're outside the USA region, you cannot see any podcasts. That's crazy. Right. So the, and here's, then it's not a huge deal. So here I am in Canada. I see no podcasts when I'm in the Zoom client. I can see nothing. Okay. I only get to see some music, relatively limited set, videos and apps. That's all I get. Hmm. But, and the real problem, so you, the, it's not a big deal because you can always go to your collection podcast and add a podcast manually and you can add the RSS feed for the tablet show yeah. yourself. And that's true of any podcast. You can add them all in by hand. But that means you have to synchronize your phone, your, if you've got a Win Phone 7, with your PC. And the whole thing with Mango is we didn't need to do that anymore. Right. 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 Well, guess what? You do if you want to use uh, podcast podcast oh, simply won't show up on your phone otherwise unless you install a podcast client 
And so if you go shoot, there are free apps out there for the WinPhone 7 for podcast client, and that'll allow you to subscribe directly on the phone. But there's no good solution outside the U.S. It huh. makes me, and there's no reason for it. It's like, yeah. I don't care that it, I want everyone in the world to listen to our show. Right. But that's what Microsoft's done. We're stuck with it for now until they decide to change it. Ah, that's terrible. But that is not the comment I wanted to read. That's actually a synthesis of a bunch of different comments. And if somebody's got a better solution, I wish I, we'd find out. But I ended up going directly to the Zoom guys and saying, hey, I want this podcast to show up globally. And they said, sorry, it's only the U.S. Yeah. Meantime. Yeah. Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 716. Now, that was the uh, WinRT panel discussion we did at Connections. Right. And uh, Nick Dowling said, uh, on a number of shows, you've bemoaned the fact that there is only one tablet device available that runs Windows 8 and that it costs $1,300. Of course, this is not the only touchscreen device that can run the OS. I'm currently running Windows 8 on an Acer 1825 PTZ NetVertible which costs a good deal less than $1,300. In many ways, it is the ideal device for developers, a touchscreen for testing Metro apps, but a keyboard and a trackpad for writing code in Visual Studio or using other desktop apps. As a Windows 7 device, the touchscreen was almost unusable. Fingers are too big and buttons are too small. And this is still the case in desktop mode on Windows 8 which highlights what I think is the biggest problem with Windows 8 in its current form. It is almost impossible to perform any task exclusively in Metro mode or desktop mode. You always seem to end up flip-flopping between the two. But thanks for the effort, as always, for producing these great shows. And that's from Nick Dowling. And what, Nick, what, what was the uh, model number of that Acer? That was the Acer 1825 PTZ. Do you know the other thing I'm running the uh, Windows 8 on? What's that? The PDC-09 tablet, the one they gave us. Oh, yeah. That was a little convertible job. I mean, Nick's absolutely right. Yeah. Windows 8 runs on all kinds of things. Remember, it's actually a lighter weight footprint than Windows 7 is. So not only would it run on any that runs Windows 7, it would probably run it better. And it's certainly the case of the PDC-09 laptop. That's okay, but that's really not true. There there are two um, computers that I've tried to put it on that do have touch that it runs the OS, but it does not uh, understand touch. Well, so it is true. It's just the problem is drivers. Yeah. Right? That's the yeah. issue is, do you have drivers that work? Does your touch uh, chipset work with the version of Windows 8 as it stands? Right? Which admittedly is pre-release. We've got hardly any drivers at all. Drivers are things that come last. But you do have to have a piece of hardware that Windows 8 actually understands. Right. Right. And I didn't know that they're, the Windows 8 drivers are obviously different than the Windows 7 drivers. They are, unfortunately. Well, in some, it depends on the chips. You know, different devices, your mileage may vary. You have yeah. to try it to find out. But I can tell you with absolute confidence, I've got one sitting in front of me. My PDC-09 laptop runs Win 8 like a charm. All right. Anyway, Nick, a mug to you. And if you'd like a mug, send us an email, .net or write a comment on any show on the .net Rocks website. And that's a long enough introduction. We're sorry about that. Let's get to the content. We're talking with uh, Damian Edwards and David Fowler today. Um, Damian Edwards is a former ASP.NET MVP. Now he's a senior program manager on the ASP.NET team, where he looks after ASP.NET Core and web forms. He's uh, from a regional town in Australia, and he's a big JavaScript and jQuery fan. David Fowler joined Microsoft in mid-2008 as a developer on the ASP.NET team. Before that, he did two internships at Microsoft, one as a tester on ASP.NET 
as uh, then as a developer on the ASP.NET team from Barbados and went to college in Florida. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Welcome. So who said hey there? Uh, I think I said hey first. Uh, that's Damien. That's Damien. Hey, David. Hey. Hey. We're all here. Awesome. All right. We're all here. Good. So we're talking about Signal R today? Yeah. Yep. All right, why don't you just fill us in on what Signal R is? Richard gave me the elevator speech uh, before the show, but I hadn't heard of it, so lay it on us as if we've never heard of this thing before. So uh, Signal R is a uh, persistent connection abstraction library for ASP.NET. So it allows you to uh, program between the browser and the server with the assumption that there is a persistent connection between the browser and your ASP.NET application. So is it sort of like WebSockets? Kind of. I mean, WebSockets is, is, is lower level than SignalR, and so okay. SignalR is an abstraction over various different uh, mechanisms for providing a persistent connection. Um, I see. One of the ones we support is WebSockets, um, although that's uh, predicated on having uh, Windows 8 on your server and .NET. Um, and obviously a WebSockets, a WebSockets compatible or capable browser, um, but we fall back to a number of other transports. You mean Server 2008? Is that what you mean? No, no, Windows 8 Server. Windows, Windows 8? 8 server. Okay. Yep. So WebSockets is a feature, a WebSockets support in ASP.NET is a feature of Windows 8 uh, Server IIS 8 and ASP.NET 4.5. Which doesn't exist yet. Which is only in the developer preview stage, that's correct. Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, cool. I'm just not used to talking about Windows 8 <laughs> yet. <laughs> I mean, I have it on my lap. I have it on my tablet, but yeah. Okay. So, so it sounds like, um, you'll use whatever mechanisms are there, in, including, I imagine, just plain old sockets, right? No. So uh, when you, I'm assuming when you say sockets, you're talking about just raw TCP sockets. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So the browser, we're limited, obviously, to what a web browser can do. Um, and so the various transports that we support and techniques for getting a persistent connection include from the highest fidelity um, web sockets right down to the lowest level, which is Ajax long polling. I see. That's our main goal, but fundamentally, like, there's nothing stopping us from having SignalR over TCP sockets. Yeah, except for the fact that the browser doesn't client. let you do it. But you can use a .NET client. Too. I mean, like, so 
our main focus is, is for browsers, but we do have clients for other devices, such as browsers. Um, there's a guide building an iOS client for SignalR, which is pretty cool. Um, so it's not just for browser, but that's our main focus. I yeah. see. And all the, all the transports that we have now are HTTP-based. I see. Yeah. Okay, so so um, we were talking on the show about WebSockets and uh, how cool that is, but like you say, it does require sort of HTML5 and it requires Windows 8 on the server. Um, what level of browser support and server support are we talking about for SignalR? So SignalR, from a browser point of view, will work right down to anything that supports AJAX and more than uh, one simultaneous connection to a single HTTP endpoint. So we're talking IE6 um, and anything above that. And then server-side, you just need to be able to run .NET 4. I see. So so essentially what you're doing then is you're setting up... Um, are, are you setting up polling, or are you setting up the ability for the server to call back into you through AJAX? So uh, we have a number of transports. Um, the, the lowest-level transport, that is the least capable one, I guess, um, is... AJAX long polling, and so that is basically uh, a poll. So the, the the browser sends an AJAX request to the server, but that request doesn't come back until there is data available on the server to fulfill the request. Um, at that point, the, the request comes back to the browser, the browser processes it, and then it immediately sends another AJAX request to the server for the next payload. So that's okay. AJAX long polling in a nutshell. All right. And uh, I, I see. This is really interesting. And and the server you said the requirement on the server was anything that supports what? .NET four. .NET four. Yep. All right, and it has to be .NET four. It has to be yeah. .NET yeah. We, we we use the Task Parallel library extensively. I see. Um, um, to do with uh, because all of our server code is asynchronous, um, and so we we use the TPL for that. So you need to have .NET four. Now is this um is this a Microsoft up and coming technology or is this just a side project that you guys are doing what tell me about the project itself Right now it's just a it's a side project it's officially what we call a moonlighting project so it's something David and I work on in our own time Okay um and it sort of grew it sort of grew organically So David what is your what's your role in the project Uh I write most of the code, not not to um, downplay Damien's role. <laughs> We're okay. both developers, um, but yeah, um, it kind of started out as us working on similar projects, doing long polling, and we kind of synced up our work. Then we figured that we were duplicating efforts, and we just joined forces to create Signaler. So every day, you know, we we'd come into work, do some work, and then like in the evenings, we we try to hack on Signaler, and it just became it grew and it grew and it grew into this project that we were just working on. All right, very cool. So, um, are, are, what other technologies are you using just besides basic AJAX, .NET four, Parallel Task Library, that kind of stuff? Are you are you relying on any kind of special JavaScript um, libraries? We rely on jQuery. Um, we we chose to make Signal a jQuery plugin just for ease of ease yeah. on, on our part, because mm-hmm. um, jQuery handles incompatibility with like different browsers for XHR and stuff like that. So we do depend on jQuery for our client-side JavaScript library. Okay. But there's no real dependencies. It's jQuery, and there are some server-side dependencies, like um, a JSON parser server-side. But there's it's pretty lightweight, I think, for the most part. It's just ASP.NET, raw ASP.NET. So um, tell me how, how SignalR is different from, say, now.js. <laughs> so 
we kind of got inspiration from Node.js and Socket.io, but we added a C-sharp spin to it, a C-sharp .NET developer spin to it. So the way that the client calls the server and the server calls the client are very Node.js-esque, you can say. Okay. But it looks like C-sharp. So we take advantage of dynamic, so it looks like you're calling a method on the JavaScript itself. So it seems so seamless. It's kind of RPC over HTTP. Okay. Wow. So why do I want to do this exactly? Let's get back to the fundamentals here of, you know, there was a reason why we didn't have pers- persistent connections in HTTP normally. It was scalability. Yeah. So what am I buying while doing this? Well, so that, uh, persistent connections enable a new type of, uh, different types of functionality to be added to an application. Um, a persistent connection doesn't necessarily n- mean that there is data continuously flowing over that connection. Right. It may be that in your application, you just want to be able to ensure that when something happens... Um, you can somewhat immediately alert uh, the user through the browser to that action. So you can think about a chat application as a canonical example. Um, traditionally, you might be using some type of polling uh, if you want to implement some type of chat functionality from a browser. And so you're going to have an inherent latency involved with that. There's going to be a lag involved um, based on the interval of your poll. Now, the tighter the interval of your poll, the higher the load you know, you're going to have on your server. Uh, with long polling, if um, the chat frequency is generally less than what you would have been uh, polling on, then you can have an idle open connection just sitting there waiting for something to happen. And then when a message comes in, it'll appear uh, basically instantaneously in the person's browser because they already had a connection open. They don't have to wait for the next poll cycle to kick in before they get that connection. Um, so it allows you to build those type of applications. And then when you want to get stuff that's more real-time and collaborative, um, having a... a, a, a something closer to a persistent connection can let you actually do things where, you know, I can move something on the screen in my browser and you can see it move in, in close to real time in your browser mm. as well. So that opens up possibilities for things like games and whatnot as well. So you're saying um, the latency it, is pretty, pretty low. Oh, it, it all depends, right? I mean, it's the internet, so sure. <laughs> it all depends on the, on the, the things between you and, and the server, but certainly uh, for things like chat, this is, it works really, really, really well. We have some examples that are more real-time interactive. So, you know, I move a shape on my screen and it moves on yours. Um, in that case, you're going to be limited by just general network latency and then the overhead of HTTP. And then uh, based on the transport, it's going to be uh, better or worse. So Ajax long polling is kind of the highest latency transport that we have. But we've just introduced a bunch of other transports uh, in between that and WebSockets, such as server sent events and uh, forever frame streaming that actually lower the latency considerably because it doesn't involve a reconnection whenever um, some data is received. But we have a thread limit when we deal with IIS. Yep. How do you overcome that to increase the number of potential connections? It's asynchronous. And so uh, ASP.NET and IIS have had an asynchronous programming model for quite some time, I think all the way back to ASP.NET 1.1, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people don't use it. Yeah. And indeed, ASP.NET is inherently asynchronous. Uh, even if you're using a web forms page, the request is asynchronous all the way up to the point where um, the page handler is executed. And then uh, that code runs synchronously, and then it returns to being asynchronous after that. Now, you can actually opt in to have, say, I actually want this page to be asynchronous itself. And then when you do that, it actually gets compiled against a different base class and it allows you to actually do asynchronous operations. So the advantage of doing asynchronous is that we can have a connection be active but have no thread associated with it when there's nothing going on with that uh, request slash response. 
And so with SignalR, when you have an open connection to the server, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a thread being used. A thread's only going to be being used if you're actually sending information back over that response. So there's basically a pool of connections being held open between these browsers, and any time traffic comes either direction, which I think is the really kind of cool part in my mind, that you could just pump down uh, a note to the browser, hey, here's something you needed to know, rather than having to poll for it. Correct. So there's, a, there's the, you know, it's, it's the standard .NET um, threading thread pool. Right. Um, and when ASP.NET up, it gets so many threads allocated to that pool by default, and then there's an algorithm that gets used to figure out how many more threads will get added as more load um, is put on the server, and it gets up to a point where it won't add any more threads, and it just has to do context switching um, and sort of thread queuing um, when it has to do a whole bunch of work. And they, they, all of these settings can be tweaked in ASP.NET. So right. Certainly, we're working on performance at the moment, and we have a page on the wiki that talks about setting up for performance, and we hope to expand that greatly such that depending on what type of um, what type of way your application uses SignalR, whether you're using it for event-driven notification or whether you're using it for more real-time interaction, you may have to set up your server slightly differently in order to optimize for that type of throughput. But that's true today of ASP.NET in general. Well, and both you guys are pretty ASP.NET savvy. So for folks who haven't really dealt with the whole threading issue on, around ASP.NET, maybe could you just recap it? Like, what, did, what are we talking about here? Why is this a problem? So by default, when a request comes into Windows Server that's bound for ASP.NET, it goes through a whole bunch of layers. Um, once it gets to IIS, um, there's an I.O. thread that gets assigned to that request to, to sort of handle all, all I.O. operations. And then at some point, um, the thread is handed, uh, sorry, the request is handed from IIS to ASP.NET. And generally at that point, it's assigned a worker thread in the .NET thread pool. Um, and that thread is obviously used to execute the code associated with handling that request. Um, now, by default, for synchronous requests, which is what most people deal with, um, there, that thread is tied to that request for the lifetime of that request. And by default, there are a bunch of limits configured in IIS and ASP.NET that limit how many concurrent connections you can have being actively processed on your server. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, there are limits for the actual request number and there are limits for the thread numbers as well. And so you have to know how to tweak those um, if you want to get high concurrency on your server. Now, if you start using asynchronous programming instead, whereby whenever you're, uh, request, uh, whenever you're doing some processing on a request that involves waiting for some resource, now that might be making an I.O. call, you know, network call to a database or an off-box uh, web service or maybe even file I.O., or you just want the request to go into sort of a sleep state waiting for some other thing to wake it up, which is more the SignalR example, then if you do it asynchronously, um, what happens is ASP.NET says, oh, there's no more work to do on this request at the moment. I'm just going to scroll this away. I'm going to spin down the thread. I'm going to store the uh, the stack and the heap associated with this call at this point. And then at some point later on, when this callback method that I gave you is called, I'm sort of going to rehydrate this request, assign it a completely new thread from the worker pool and sort of pick up where it left off. And it'll take care of marshalling the context and the the current uh, thread culture and the security and all that sort of stuff between those threads that it allocates to it. Which is actually the magical part of this whole thing. The idea that transparently to my app, I switched threads in an execution stack because I went to a wait state. That's voodoo in my mind. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and this is where the difference between you know, multi-threaded programming and asynchronous programming kind of comes into the fore. Right. You know, I wouldn't say what we're doing is multi-threaded. No. Um, we do spin up threads occasionally for doing things, but they're generally for background tasks just run on a recurrent cycle. Like we have a bunch of timers and stuff that do things. But most of the time, we're just doing asynchronous programming, which is an async callback for programming using the task parallel library. You know, we put some operation into a wait state, um, and we give it a callback saying, when you're finished, call me back on this. And while in the meantime, there's no thread being used for that. Well, and the fact that the, that we can, the, the operating system and the platform can pull back those resources to execute on other things without you having to do anything explicitly other than say this was asynchronous. I think, yeah. it's, you know, let the OS own the complexities of multi-threadism, right? And you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And not to say that it isn't complex. I mean, one of the reasons .NET 4 kind of made this possible was that before .NET 4, doing this type of programming in .NET using APM or the asynchronous programming model was really hard. Um, you know, the begin end methods, iasync results, and async callbacks, that was usually very easy to do for a single operation. But if you wanted to do any type of composition um, where you chained multiple async operations together based on the results of previous async operations... That stuff was, I mean, I, I would not even attempt to do that using APM. But with the task parallel library, that stuff is something that even a, a mere program manager like myself can do. <laughs> At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Actually, I think things are getting better. We're going in the right direction on all of this. It's getting simpler. What about yeah. uh, security issues? I mean, are, are we running any risk by keeping these ports open like this? Of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no inherent risk that I can that we've found so far. Um, it's just uh, ASP.NET. And all the all the same security things apply that apply, would apply yeah. in a normal ASP.NET application. Can I put SSL on the uh, connection? Absolutely. So yeah. this could be all four four three. Yep. Yeah. I think that that it's an for folks that are worried about that sort of thing, and I don't know that there's a lot to worry about, I think the fact that you could just open that up is pretty compelling. We, we have a couple of areas in the product in the, at the moment. I mean, the product's still very much probably in a pre-alpha state. It's very much still churning a lot. We have a couple of areas we know at the moment that um, are probably open, a little bit too open, that we need to tighten up. Um, we do persist. We do round-trip certain pieces of state between the client and the server in order to enable some features, things like groups, um, and we've had a talk about ways that we could actually um, tighten it up a little bit to avoid things like spoofing and imperf- impersonation, which at the moment um, perhaps you could achieve uh, where perhaps we as the framework should be doing more work to just make sure that that stuff just can't happen. So we do, we do plan to do some uh, more things around you know, encrypting certain information or at least signing it so that we can verify that when a connection comes in that you know, when they say they're in Group X, they are actually in Group X. Um, but at the moment, you can do all that stuff at the app level anyway, and I would argue you should be doing that at the app level anyway. You shouldn't just be blindly um, trusting a connection, saying, "Hey, I, you know, hey, I want to connect you, and I'm telling you that I'm in Group X." 
um, I, I would assume you have app logic that actually verifies that this connection is in Group X. So, so we're stateless, but your app has state. So your app is supposed to know about who is in which group, which group to your app. So, for example, the chat room, you know, you can have someone in a in a group that is your room, and you can use the group to send a message to that that room. But if you want to verify that the person is in the group, you should use your data from your database or your state. Yeah, I guess you're ultimately responsible for managing that. Uh, yeah. Does SignalR sit as just a, uh, an ISAPI filter on top of IIS? How do you add this in? Where does it fit in relationship to ASP.NET and IIS? Uh, so we are pretty high in the stack. We're not, we're not that low. Um, we are just a regular ASP.NET handler, actually not an ISAPI filter on IIS. So our base class is a persistent connection, and that derives from ISTV handler, async handler. Right. Um, and that's our layering right now. And because the advantage of that is it means it's it's running in the same app domain as your ASP.NET application because it is your ASP.NET application. Right. Which means you can share states and all that type of stuff. But it also means you yeah. didn't take away a bunch of stuff I know how to use. Exactly. Does, is it feasible for me to add SignalR into an existing ASP.NET app? Is the design yeah. really that different? In fact, in fact oh, if you're yeah. using MVC, you can just add another interface to your existing MVC controller and now that controller can also be what we call a hub. And then you can have methods inside that controller that call into JavaScript methods on the clients. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned you have other clients other than HTTP. Oh, yeah. So tell oh, me about... Other than, well, Java, other than JavaScript, other than, you mean? Other well, than JavaScript. I mean, you can use it in more than the browser. Yeah, right. A Windows app, for example. Yeah, right. Or a WPF app. What does that look yeah. like? So what happened was... We were toying around with the idea of having more clients while I was, and I wrote a .NET client just for a prototype, and then I wrote a Windows Phone client. So I wrote a chat app for, for the Windows Phone, and then from there we just started to think, you know, maybe we can actually make this an actual like communication framework, not just for a browser. Um, so the code looks, it, it tries to be like JavaScript a little bit in the, in the client-side code, and it looks pretty nice, the API. So it feels, it feels like the JavaScript. But it's, it's not it's not too bad. Um, you guys looking for something other than that? But basically, you'd be building like a that's a web service model, right? You're just returning a yeah. block of data and preferably in some form that's easily consumable based on yeah. a set of parameters. Yeah. You know. I mean, basically, imagine you want to have a multi-user app, some multi-user app, right? A game or something, a card game. Mm-hmm. So normally, you'd have to like spin up a a socket server or do peer to peer. And then you have to handle, you know, the bytes yourself and disconnect and reconnect. We kind of package it all for you and give you a higher, a higher model. So you can say like, you know, add join game and you can pass a game object and we handle serialization, decialization um, for you, dis- disconnection, reconnection. Those kind of things just happen for you by default. And you can use, you know, IIS. So if you have a web server or you can go and get web server from, from Azure or some other hosting company, it just works. Without you having to worry about all the nuts and bolts. Nice, and, that, and that's where the real value is. And then, and then the big feature on top of that we add, obviously, is broadcast. Um, right. Because sure. you can do you can do server push, right? And when you say broadcast, you mean like all the collected clients in a particular group could be sent yeah. a message. Yeah. So in 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 David's um, card game analogy, you could you know every game would be assigned its own signaler group mm-hmm. um, on that connection. So the connections are typed. Uh, literally by a .NET type, so I'd, I would have a connection called, 
game connection. And then within that game connection, there would be people, uh, connections within specific groups. And in the case of a card game, every game would probably be in its own group. And then if you wanted to send a message to everyone in a group, you can broadcast a message just to that group. Nice. Or you can broadcast messages to everyone on that connection. It's kind of like an IRC server. I mean, I, that's the way I think of it in terms of functionality, because IRC is actually that. a very nice little um, server protocol for doing distributed broadcast. It's funny you should mention IRC, because Fowler <laughs> has, a, uh, has a nice clone. So you built a version of an IRC server using SignalR, David? So, so it's not an IRC server exactly. It just mimics some of the, the things from IRC, but using right. all SignalR uh, protocol. And for those youngins in the audience, that's Internet Relay <laughs> Chat, IRC. That's it. And once upon a time, there was only one server, and it was in Urbana, Illinois. <laughs> Champagne. Yeah, yeah. And every so often... The internet would split in half, and there'd be two IRC <laughs> servers. <laughs> Back when the internet literally had access points that could break the internet in half. So here's a story right. for you. Um, Richard, you didn't know me when I was writing this product called World Train, but I had this training product that had a, um, a, a teacher module and a client module, and it used IRC as the underlying protocol to communicate to all the clients. It would send out uh, things like go to this URL, and all the clients would, with their own bandwidth, go to a particular URL and show it in the browser, or advance a PowerPoint slide, or uh, fly the Microsoft agent around the screen and have him say something. But So it was very cool. And I just remembered how robust and, and mature IRC was as a, as a platform, and how trivial it would be to write clients for that, that wrap protocols on top of IRC, um, why, why doesn't, why don't people use that? Like, what's wrong with that model? I think everything other than HTTP has fallen by the wayside, right? Well, I guess it's the, the, the port, right? I mean, and if you're not on port 80, you don't exist pretty yeah. much. <laughs> Which is the that crazy is part because we're pushing all these weird vectors through port 80. I know, it's true. <laughs> well, it's all about reach. At the end of the day, it's ubiquity and reach, right? That's the one thing the web has over every other attempt at doing this in the past. Well, that's because people allow web traffic through no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I, and uh, while some people I know like to complain about the limitations of that, I just find that empowering. And I'm, I'm, I just, I'm consistently amazed at how developers have found ways to push even more things through this protocol that was designed to send down, you know, really ugly-looking documents. Right. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when we look at things like SignalR and the type of things that people are building... Um, with SignalR, it, it just it just blows my mind. Not to mention you know, video streaming and all those type of things. Any apps you want to call out, Damien? Oh, uh, <laughs> the Jabber is the big one. That's Fowler's uh, IRC clone. Jabber. Yeah, J A B B R. So Jabber.net is be quickly becoming a very popular hangout for people on the ASP.NET team and in the community. So oh, that's awesome. I know the new the new Get team are using that as a sort of a, a quasi back channel for communication about the product and interacting with customers, which is really cool. Nice. Well, that's yeah. great. That's yeah. great. And we've had some uh, we've had reports of people using it for auction websites to get real time updates on auction prices. I think someone was looking at using it for a sports stats yeah. site. Um, I know people have been using it in, I have a sample on NuGet, which is like a, a, a fake stock ticker. 
So you can just go to NuGet and you know, install package signaler.sample and it'll suck into your application a working page that uh, you know, gives you a little stock uh, graph, a little stock uh, grid and a, a ticker that you can just hit start and stop on to open and close the market and it all just runs in your app domain, which is kind of nice. Um, and we have a bunch of samples up on the GitHub repository as well. But every day, I mean, I've got a search column on Signaler in uh, in my uh, Twitter client here, and it it just amazes me how many people are, are discovering it and, and and just seeing all these great opportunities that this programming model and affords. You, and you got some big fans. You, Allende Rahane <laughs> is a fan. Ha- Scott Hanselman is a fan. Yeah, Allende is a contributor. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's true. That does not surprise me. No, there's no better way to prove your love than to add some code. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what's this? uh, Somebody used the connect with it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So someone someone the last couple of weeks uh, used the connect SDK and set up a remote... Um, a remote, what was it? Like a security system? It was tracking, like, your movement and then taking pictures as you moved, I think. (laughs) Right. And then broadcasting it to a web page. That's crazy. Yeah. That's fun, though. Signal to do the update. Yeah. Uh, it's great. You know, thank you guys for writing some really, some fun stuff to, to play around with and very useful, too. I mean, it's not just the fun aspect of it. You, uh, your Twitter account is just simply Signal R, right? Yeah. Yep. And github.com slash signal R. Yep. I guess that's that's about it. Right? Do you have a signalr.com or .org? Signalr.net. We were .net. supposed to have that, but ask Damien what well, happened. Hey, we, we have it. <laughs> what happened, Damien? direct to the GitHub repository. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. It sounds great. Yeah. And I'm going to start playing around with it. Thank you guys very much, Damien and David. Thanks. Thanks for having us. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a